We shouldn't talk about this may contain graphic descriptions and or explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Hey Key, how are you today? I'm good, V. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing so well. I'm happy it is December. You are. Yes, I am ready for wintertime because a lot of people who know of me on my socials know I love to wear Usanka fur hats. That is true. You do like to wear those. What is a perfect way to wear Usanka than on a 31 degree morning? It has been quite chilly lately. Quite chilly. Yeah, a lot of people say we went from summer to winter in South Carolina. Yeah, we went straight into the cold weather. And it's been kind of rough going from having your AC on one day to the heat the next. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely uh, a change in temperature. Now, do you know what the temperature is in India right now? I do not, but I suspect it might be close to ours since we're on the same hemisphere well you would be wrong it is 6 a.m in mumbai and it's 71 degrees fahrenheit with a high of 94 today wow absolutely good weather right there yeah they're up they have lots of lots of sunshine over that way well speaking of india since we've seen a recent rise in listenership in India, we wanted to welcome you guys by doing a specific episode for India and the crimes that we shouldn't talk about today. Yes, thank you, listeners in India. We greatly appreciate your support for the show and your recurring interest in our We should talk about this antics. Yes. And I have a good story. Not quite so long, but super interesting. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hooked me already. All right. Well, gather around, children. It's time for Tell a Crime. Now, DeWood Ibrahim was born on December 26, 1955, in Ked Maharashtra, India. His father, Ibrahim Kashkar, worked as a head constable with the Mumbai police, and his mother, Amina, was a homemaker. He lived in the Timkar Mahala area of Dongri and attended Ahmed Sailor High School, from which he dropped out. Now, Dawood Ibrahim is married to Majabin Shaikh. I, I know I just butchered her name. My apologies. And the couple has four children. One of his daughters, however, is deceased. And not much is said about his wife other than she's living a fairly open life in Pakistan and she will give the occasional interview. DeWood started his career in crime by engaging in fraud, robbery, and petty crimes in his early teens, and later joined the gang called Haji Mastan that was headed by Bashu Dada. He later split from the gang and created his own gang with his elder brother, Shabir Ibrahim Kaskar in the late 1970s. And that's what you do. You keep it in the family. That's right. In 1981, Pathan assassins cornered Dawood and Shabir at a gas station. They killed Shabir, but Dawood escaped. After Shabir was killed by this rival gang, the Pathan gang, Shabir became the sole boss of his gang, 
which was known as D Company. Gangster Manya Survey was allegedly involved in the murder and joined hands with the Pathans to fight DeWood and his gang. This was one of the deadliest underworld wars that Mumbai had ever seen. Now, DeWood wiped out the entire Survey and Pathan gangs along with their comrades between 1983 and 1988. So he was not playing. He, that's, that's how you do a rampage. You get revenge for your brother's death. You wipe out everybody involved and anybody who may be involved with those people. I still can't believe if they're referred to as assassins if they let him get away. I guess he, you know, was able to turn the corner real quick and get out of there or maybe hide somewhere. Yeah, I guess so. DeWood took over the Mumbai gang scene, and then he moved to Dubai. He operated his businesses from Dubai and created the biggest Indian Hawala racket. He mainly, he was then mainly involved in gold smuggling, real estate, extortion, and drug trafficking. Now, in order to capitalize on the communal disharmony prevalent in India, especially in Mumbai, Pakistan's secret service agency known as the Inter-Services Intelligence, or the ISI, joined hands with DeWood in the early 90s. ISI funded DeWood further and helped him grow. In return, DeWood became part of the plot that intended to destroy Mumbai's backbone. It's alleged that along with Tiger Mimon, DeWood planned the 1993 Mumbai attacks. The Mumbai attacks was several blasts that took place on March 12, 1993 and claimed 257 innocent lives. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Ever since the blast, he's been on the most wanted list issued by the Indian government. His alleged contacts with Osama bin Laden had him on the USA's radar, too. This had him included on the list of global terrorists with a 25 million U.S. dollar bounty on his head. 25 million? 25 million. Wow. DeWood has also been suspected of working alongside every other terrorist organization active in the Indian subcontinent. His role in both the 2002 Gujarat riots and the 2008 Mumbai attacks in which Lashkar gunmen carried out blasts and raids across Mumbai, including a four-day siege of its iconic Taj Mahal Hotel, and that resulted in the deaths of 31 people. The Wood insiders um, have said that he smuggled the men into India, but that is still being debated as to whether he really had that kind of role in it or not. I can't believe they were able to hold down the Taj Mahal. That's crazy. It is crazy. Now, the Wood and his syndicate D Company have been linked to financing of Bollywood movies also. A number of Bollywood studios and films were financed by D Company in the 1980s and 1990s. The Wood was linked to a number of celebrities at this time, including the beauty pageant contestant Anita Ayub and the Bollywood actress Mandakini. Now, I love a good Bollywood production. Even their music videos are like over the top. I love the music videos too. Yes. Like they have full credits at the end. I love oh, it. Yeah. It's like so much. D Company is also known 
for extortion and threats targeted towards Bollywood producers and celebrities and was involved in the murders of Bollywood producers Javed Sadiq and Goshan Kumar. The 2002 film, which was called Company, is loosely based on the company's activities and its sequel, which was a prequel to the events in the movie, was the 2005 film D, as well as Shootout at Lok Handwala in 2007, and the 2010 film Once Upon a Time in Mumbai, and the 2013 film D-Day. Oh my gosh. Right, so they have been giving these movie producers a lot of material to use, obviously. They're milking this case. They really are. There's also a 2013 movie called Shootout at Wadala, and it's based on the rise of D Company. The film Hasina Pakar is a biographical crime film based on the the Woods' sister, Hasina Pakar. So, I mean, you know, they kind of kept it easy to find on that one. Also, the 2018 video game Hitman 2 features a Mumbai crime lord active in the movie industry, and that crime lord's name was DeWood Rangan. No way. I know that mission. Yes. Wow. And that's presumably a reference to DeWood. Iowa Interactive doing their research on that. That's crazy. Now, DeWood is believed to still control much of the Hawala system, which is very commonly used unofficially um, as a system for transferring money and remittances outside the view of official agents. DeWood was linked to the financing of increasing attacks in Gujarat by Lashkar-e-Taiba. In 2006, the government of India handed over to Pakistan a list of 38 most wanted criminals, and which included DeWood. His crime syndicate spreads across Asia, Europe, and Africa, with over 40% of its earnings coming from India. Presently, DeWood's criminal activities are terror funding, drug trafficking, gun running, extortion, and money laundering. He's also been heavily invested in real estate in Karachi, Dubai, and in India. DeWood is still on the run, but is believed to be living in Pakistan. And I also saw a article that said he and his wife both tested positive for coronavirus recently. So somebody knows where he is if he's Yo, out here what? getting a coronavirus test. And is going public. What? Yeah, so he's not really hiding that well. And I guess nobody wants this $25 million. Yeah, if someone give me a lead, I risk it all for that. That's crazy. Yes, but that is my story, the Wood Ibrahim, India's most notorious gangster. Wow, Key, that was really something. Right now you want to go play Hitman too, don't you? I do, and it's it's a tough game if you're not good at stealth video games, and I'm not too good at stealth video games. Well, here's hoping you get better. Yeah, get better so I can find Mr. DeWood and get $25 million. Jeez. So, my case, my terrible story is on a totally different, I guess, end of things. Whereas Mr. DeWood, Abraham was a drug lord. My case is of a nun. Oh, well, this can't be too bad, she says unknowingly. 
That's how it always begins. So, Key and listeners, I'm going to tell you a little about the story of the case behind Sister Abaya. Sister Abaya was reported missing on the morning of March 27, 1992. She had woken at 4 a.m. to study for exams and was last known to have gone to the kitchen for a drink. The refrigerator door was left ajar, a bottle of water was spilled on the floor, and a single slipper sat under the fridge. The mate of that slipper was found beside the Covent Hostel's well. After a brief search, Sister Abaya's body was found in this exact well in the early hours of that morning. Kazayam West Police Station upgraded their investigation to that of an unnatural death. At 10 a.m., the deceased was removed from the well by the fire department and an inquest of death was drawn up. A postmortem conducted on the body by Dr. Radhak Rishman of Katayam Medical College found abrasions on the right shoulder and hip and two small lacerations above the right ear. There was no sign of sexual assault. Despite the potentially significant injuries, the death was ruled as a drowning. That's so, weird. Yes, this is where things start to get suspicious, as um, as you'll see later on in this story. The series of inquiries by various investigating bodies that followed were lengthy, convoluted, and unsatisfactory, plagued by internal conflict, bitter rivalries, and allegations of corruption and bias, compounded by the pressure from many quarters that bring the case to conclusion. In April of 1992, the crime branch of the Criminal Investigation Department took up the case and months later ruled Sister Abaya's death a suicide. However, the crime branch was alleged to have destroyed crucial material evidence potentially connecting her death as a homicide. Three years later, forensic medical experts Dr. S.K. Batak, Dr. Mahesh Verma, and Dr. S.R. Singh conducted dummy experiments, leading them to conclude that the homicide could not be ruled out. And no arrests were made. Even though there were three main suspects on the table, Father Couture, Father Jose Petrocayo, and Sister Sefi. So all people of the church? All people of the church, yeah. An action council was convened by Jalman Putra Petrakal in 1992, demanding prosecutions of those responsible for the murder of Sister Abaya. 67 nuns belonging to Abaya's congregation petitioned the chief minister of the Karela state government to investigate the case as a homicide. On April 7, 1992, the director general of police of Kerala directed the crime branch of the Kerala police to take over the investigation from the local police. The Kerala government, on the bias of the petition, recommended a CBI inquiry. On March 29, 1993, CBI began a new investigation. So, at one point, um, Mr. V.V. Augustine visited the crime scene, and this is when they got the body out of the well um, from the fire department. So he performed an inquest to be prepared for him. Photographs were taken of the body. Clothing of a bias was taken into custody. Later, these items were destroyed. The postmortem report indicated death by drowning, but also reported the possibility of homicide based on head injuries. And so you can already see that a lot of Okay, it was this. No, it was this. No, it was this. And then things are going missing. Things are getting destroyed. People are getting false reports sent to him. Like, there are a lot of chopped up documents. Conflicting information, too. Uh, lots of conflicting information also. It's um, it's looking pretty strange. Like, you, you would really think that uh, Sister Abaya was going to, you know, be like the president's daughter or something. But how... Everyone's trying to put the blame on something else and like trying to call the heat off of themselves somehow. Or how many people were involved in this, you know, altogether. It just seems pretty crazy. 
On March 29, 1993, the first information report in the case was registered by the CBI. The CBI started investigating the death of Sister Baya under direct supervision of its officer, Virgis P. Thomas. CBI stands for Central Bureau of Investigation. On November 29, 1996, the CBI issued the first final report. The author of the report, A.K. Ori, stated that he could not determine whether a biased death was suicide or homicide. The report was not accepted by the Chief Judicial Magistrate's Court. On July 9, 1999, the CBI issued a second final report authored by Surinda Paul. Paul concluded that Ebeya's death was a homicide, but he could not establish the identity of the perpetrators. Paul's report was not accepted by the court either. On August 25, 2005, the CBI issued yet another report, authored by R.R. Sari. Sari concluded that there was no indication that anyone was involved in Abaya's death. This report, again, was not accepted. On September 4, 2008, the court turned the investigation over to Kirala branch of the CBI. Some of the initial Manipulations in the case by local police and crime branch alleged by CBI are 1. The inquest report did not indicate the homicidal injuries on the body of Abea. 2. The material evidence in the case was destroyed and the clothes were not subject to forensic examination. 3. The photographs showing injuries on the body were removed. And 4. The crime scene was tampered with or material physical evidence was not collected from the crime scene. During the initial inquiry, the postmortem, chemical examination, and laboratory report also had been erased and then rewritten due to other influences. It seems like they just really did a piss poor job with this death. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all over the place. It's really it's re- really has me wondering. How many hands were included in this? Right, because it just seems like a a crazed cover-up of some sort, but why? Yeah, because if these two fathers and this sister commit this crime, how much pull do they have with the police in the investigation bureau? Right, it would seem like they would have a lot, but I don't know, it just doesn't make sense for all the misdirection and lost evidence and they didn't even check her clothes forensically like what is that that seems basic yeah it really does on december 30th 1983 Virgis p thomas resigned from the service of cbi and from the investigation of a bayist death mr thomas was due for retirement in only seven more years he had arrived to the conclusion that Abeya's death was a case of murder, and he had recorded it as such in the case diary. Subsequently, on January 19, 1994, he had called a special press conference in Kuchin and announced that he had resigned from the CBI as his conscience did not permit him to comply with a strong directive given by his superior officer, V. Thayagaranjan, and the superintendent of the CBI Kuchin unit, who asked, Mr. Thomas to record the death of Abeya as suicide in the case diary. With this press conference, the case of Sister Abeya caught media attention all over India, and the matter was strongly debated in the parliament as well as in the Kerala State Assembly on several occasions. The Action Council filed another petition in the Kerala High Court asking the court to remove the thyrologen from the council, from the Kusin unit of the CBI, as well as from the investigation. On June 3rd, all the members of parliament from Kerala State jointly submitted a passionate petition to K. Vijaya Rama Rio, the director of the CBI, requesting him to disallow Thayarajalan to continue in Abeya's murder case. As a result, M.L. Sharma, the joint director of the CBI, was given charge of the investigation into Abeya's death. Dr. C. Radhak Rishnan, 
the forensic surgeon and former principal of Katayam Medical College, who initially conducted the postmortem on the body, had given the report as death by drowning. He later made a statement before the magistrate on New Year's Day 2009. The crime branch did not allow him to visit the crime scene to form a definite opinion as to the cause of death. The explanation of the crime branch is that the case had been handed over to the state forensic chief, Dr. Uma Darthan. Dr. Radhad Krishnan noted six homicidal injuries on the body of the deceased. Sister Abaya had the following anti-mortem injuries as per the post-mortem certificate issued by Dr. Radha Krishnan. She had a lacerated wound, oblique on the right side of the back of the head, a lacerated wound, a lacerated wound oblique on the head, two and a half centimeters behind injury number one, a grazed abrasion oblique on the right side below the lower end of the shoulder blade, abrasion two centimeters below injury number three, multiple grazed abrasions on the outer aspect of the right buttock, the direction of the grazes were upwards and inwards, and on the dissection of scalp tissue, the middle of the top of the head were found contused. The scalp tissues around injuries number one and number two were also found contused. The skull was still intact. Brain showed localized subarachnoid hemorrhage underneath these contused regions. No sign of increased intracranial tension. So that was a very that was a very thorough um, postmortem by Dr. Radhash Krishnan, who was seems in this whole scheme of things, he's like the one of the only people doing his job correctly. Right, because how could they say it wasn't murder when she had all these abrasions and contusions and everything? Like, I, I understand falling in a well might scrape you up a bit, but it seemed like a lot of head trauma. Yeah, I agree with you. Then the CBI in April of 1995 started using a full-size dummy of Sister Abeya to perform tests to see if they could reenact how she was found and how she was tossed into the well. So, you know, whether she propelled herself inside the well or whether she was dumped in a well after the fact. So, based on the postmortem report... On April 17, 1995, Dr. S.K. Patak, the chief of the forensic department of Siwa Mansingh Medical College, Jipar, and Dr. Mahesh Verma, former chairperson of anatomy section, submitted their formal expert report to the CBI investigation team to the effect that homicide could not be ruled out. Subsequently, the CBI declared that the killers would soon be arrested. Guess what happened? I would say nobody was arrested. Everything is a shambles. Like, how would they even trust any evidence at this point? Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how. But they honestly just said they would be arrested to, to tell the media to that people were, like, you know, at ease about it. And so since no arrests were made in November of 1995, a protest was held in front of the CBI office in Kuching. Later, on March 18, 1996, another big rally was organized under the leadership of formal chief minister of the state, E.K. Nayarin, in front of the state secret at Tirin v. Nanathapuram, the state capital. Again, on July 1st, 1996, the Action Council found a petition. Again, on July 1st, 1996, the Action Council filed a petition in the High Court challenging the inaction of the CBI. On August 20th, 1996, the High Court directed the CBI to complete its investigation in three months. In the meantime, 
the CVI advertised a reward of 300,000 rupees to anyone who could give dependable evidence in the case. And 300,000 rupees is $4,065. On October 12th, 1996, all of the MPs from Kerala visited the Prime Minister and pleaded with him to expedite the CBI investigation. However, on December 6, 1996, the CBI filed a petition in the Chief Judicial Magistrate's Court in Erna Kulam, seeking to wind up its investigation in the matter for lack of evidence. The court rejected the request and directed the CBI to continue the investigation. The Chief Judicial Magistrate directed the CBI in its order dated 20... The Chief Judicial Magistrate directed the CBI in its order dated March 20th, 1997 to reinvestigate the case. The court and its order strongly criticized the CBI for its loyalty and complicity to certain vested interests to defeat the ends of justice, and the court observed that the CBI had not made party some very significant persons who otherwise emerged in the facts of the case quite evidently. The court also asserted its belief that the case could have been easily established had there been an honest and proper investigation. Further, the court, after seeing the video cassette of the Asianette interview, mentioned KT Michael by name for, quote, unquote, influencing, unquote, the course of the investigation. This remark was later expunged by the high court after considering the reasons for the statements made during the interview. The chief judicial magistrate court observed that certain quote, invisible hands were still trying to shuttle the Sister at Bay a murder case, observing that these forces were trying to influence the investigating agencies and the government officials. The Action Council, again on May 30th, 1997, filed a public interest litigation and the High Court of Kerala against the non-compliance of the CJM's directive for reinvestigation. The High Court, in its order, directed the CBI to report back to the court the progress it had made in the investigation in 10 days from the date of the order. Having had enough of the failure and lack of interest on the part of the CBI, the High Court directed Su Muto, the director of the CBI, to appoint a special team from New Delhi to investigate the matter. Thus, P.D. Mina, the superintendent of the CBI from New Delhi, and his team undertook a month-long investigation and reported to the High Court. The CBI was convinced that the death of Abeya was in fact murder. However, the CBI report said that due to lack of evidence, it was not possible to go further into the matter. The High Court, again on September 28, 1998, directed the CBI to file its final report of the reinvestigation on or before October 12, 1998. The magistrate court later affirmed that there was clear evidence to show that some officers who took part in the investigation conducted by the local police and crime branch wanted to refer this case as a case of suicide. The remarks were later expunged by the high court. Thank goodness, because that's dumb. Oh, it was very, very dumb. On April 12, 2007, the New Indian Express stated that the original chemical examination report of the vaginal swab and vaginal smear of Ebeya has been found to have been tampered with. The manuscript of the workbook report from the chemical examination laboratory shows overwriting in four places using a whitener and a different ink. The word not has been found to have been added after the fact. And I'm not surprised. <laughs> As part of, a part of this investigation in August 2007, the CBI conducted narco analysis tests on Father Thomas Kutar 
Father Jose, Putri Kayal, and Sister Sefi, and others whom they believe had knowledge about the case. Narco analysis test report and case diaries were sent to the Chief Judicial Magistrate Court and to the High Court. There were allegations that the case diaries relating to the narco analysis test were manipulated. Justice Ram Kumar of the Kerala High Court sent questionnaires to Dr. Malani, Assistant Director of the Bangalore Center where the narco analysis were conducted. The lab denied any manipulation, but Justice Hema who heard the bail petition of the accused based on the case diaries mentioned the narco analysis CDs might have been manipulated and wanted the originals to be produced in court. Dr. Milani has since been dismissed from service on the charge of forging her birth certificates. Yes, that's a whole nother story right there for another day. This is just getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a free wild ride. Pretty wild ride, I must say. Court ordered CBI to find out the original CDs within 10 days. CBI questions the forensic lab officials, including Dr. Milani. CBI made a verbal statement and submitted that the CDs were not edited. The CDIT challenges the submission by CBI. Abeya's father files contempt of court detention against CBI for not producing original CDs. On January 11, 2008, the Kerala High Court directed CBI to produce the result of the narco analysis test conducted on the suspects and the case and the sealed cover before the court within two weeks. The court further directed that no third person had any right of disclosure and the content of the results till the appropriate stage other than the high court in this regard the cbi submitted it before the court on january 21st 2008 the results were submitted in the sealed cover as directed by the court allegations regarding community leaders trying to sabotage the case there was speculation that an influential christian political leader from central kerala tried to sabotage the case by influencing the then-Congress government and the center. Other allegations included the Catholic Church Council trying to influence the outcome of the investigations. Others also alleged that due to the constant pressure that the Action Council and their governor, that a lot of real good leads were never followed up on or investigated. On November 19, 2008, the CBI arrested Father Thomas Couture, Father Jose Putril Cayel, and Sister Sefi. On November 22, 2008, Archbishop Kiria Kosi Kunashri, former head of the Anadosal of Kotayam, was summoned for questioning. The CBI questioned Kassiam Archbishop Matthew Molikat at his office in Koshi on November 24th, 2008. The next day, V.V. Augustine, the assistant sub-inspector who prepared the first information report during the initial case investigation, was found dead. Police said he committed suicide by cutting the artery of his wrist and taking poison. Hey, we're the one to make sure. I've never cut my wrist and I never took poison, but I would imagine that it'll be hard to do both. But you know. Yeah, or maybe he took something poisonous and then cut his wrist real quick and was like, whichever one works first works. Yeah, that's possible. A suicide note found mental torture by the CBI. The CBI had alleged that Augustine had destroyed evidence and closed the case as suicide, but the case diary revealed it was Augustine who pointed the possibility of a homicide. He had recorded that Abeya could have seen something objectionable in the dining room and was to be silenced. 
In his personal diary, Augustine wrote about how he was pressured by the CBI to say that senior police officers tried to influence him. On December 2nd and the 29th of 2008, the CBI made a statement before P.D. Solman, Chief Judicial Magistrate Ernakulam. According to the CBI, the brain mapping and narco-analysis investigations revealed that Bea woke up on the morning of March 27, 1992. Early in the morning, descended the staircase, went to the hostel kitchen to get a drink of water from the refrigerator. Sethi hit Abeya with a kodali, or axe, three times in the back of the head. She then collapsed, thinking Abeya was dead. Father Couture and Father Potracalio, assisted by Sethi, lifted Abeya's body, took it out of the kitchen, and dumped it in the well behind the building. Now, how do you trace all of that back through brain mapping? Sounds incredible. Yes. On New Year's Day 2009, Kerala Kerala High Court Justice K. Hema granted conditional bail to Catholic priests, Father Couture, and Father Putrakeel and Sister Sefi. The CBI had pleaded with the Chief Justice that the bail application should be moved out of Hema's court as she was, quote, prejudiced towards the case, unquote. Hema found that the arguments of the CBI counsel were based on the stories appearing in the media rather than on the case diary. Counsel responded that the arguments had been accepted by the earlier courts. Based on the case diary, Hema found that the CBI investigation was, quote, only a chase for the shadow rather than the object in this case. This case is only a futile exercise. Investigation means to carefully examine the facts of the situation and event a crime, to find out the truth about it or how it happened. It is not to fix the target first without any evidence and then make a hunt for evidence, unquote. Hema also criticized the media and the public, with which pronounced the verdict knowing very little about the facts of the case, including 24 volumes of case diary, the medical reports, and the, and the statements from the doctors. Hema also mentioned the accusations propagated by the media, public, and the CBI against officers of the local police and crime branch without any incriminating evidence. Hema refuted the argument that ASI Augustine tried to suppress facts. The case diary indicates that it was Augustine who was in charge of the case for only two days recorded the possibility of a murder. Hema also observed that nowhere in the case diary is there any mention that the church had tried to influence the investigation. Hema also made observations on the reliability of the narco analysis case diaries and ordered production of the original case diaries. On July 17, 2009, the CBI filed a charge sheet in the court of Chief Judicial Magistrate Erna Killam, charging fathers Couture and Potriel and Sister Sefi with murder, destruction of evidence, and defamation. September 2009, the tapes, which were claimed to be recordings of the narco test conducted by CBI agents on the three accused, were leaked to Chiarelli t- TV, a local television station. These reveal the alleged confessions of Father Potraikoyal, Father Couture, and Sister Sefi, who were all in the state of sedation. The video showed the suspects detailing what happened during the night of the murder after having been injected with truth serum. It was not clear whether the tapes were authentic or if it was accepted as evidence by the courts. March 2018, Father Jose Puchuquiel was acquitted by the special CBI court. 
which cited a failure on part of the prosecutors to find substantial evidence that proved the accused visited the convent on the day of the murder. The discharge petition of the other two were rejected. So somehow Father Jose got freed, but the other two are still locked up right now. Which blows my mind because I don't see how they could have charged anybody with anything. Everything was just a huge circle. Just gigantic, gigantic circle. Now we're down to the motive. The CBI informed the Kirali High Court in late November 2008 and early December 2008 that Sister Bea had accidentally intruded upon Sister Sefi and the other two accused priests in a, quote, compromising position, unquote. Sister so they Sefi, was having a threesome. I think so. Sister Sefi panicked, and in the spur of the moment, Sefi hit Abeya with an axe meant for chopping firewood. The three together dumped Abeya's body into the well. The CBI also informed the high court about the remarkable degree of care the accused took to hide the crime. This included a hymen restoration procedure where Sister Sefi underwent allegedly in the church's hospital, which was... Wait a minute. You are not going to gloss over a hymen restoration. What is is it? (laughs) (laughs) It's a part of the vagina that's like you can, that's the supposed to be the way you can tell if a woman is still a virgin, like if their hymen is broke or not. However, it can break during during normal stuff like rigorous sports, horseback riding, bike riding, stuff like that. But that was like the old school way. Like if your hymen was still intact, then you were supposedly still a virgin. Oh, so the cherry. So they so supposedly threw her new hymen in there. Come on, people. <laughs> oh, wow. Further, her pendulous breasts were also counted as a result of regular sexual relations. And this was strongly refuted by the accused, of course. Thank you, because, I mean, her breasts could have just been large genetically. I mean, yeah, could have been. The counsel for the accused dared CBI to prove that such an operation has ever been conducted in India. Moreover... The building where the crime was committed was extensively remodeled under the guise of restoration work to allegedly deface the scene. And key, that is the case of Sister Abeya. The death and crazy roller coaster ride to get justice served for Sister Abeya. To which maybe they didn't even get justice because. I don't, like I said, I don't even see how they could even charge anybody with this crime as many mess-ups as were made in the beginning. And yes, it was a suicide. No, this was a murder. They said, yes, this happened. Then no, it didn't happen. Like stuff was being erased and rewritten. How could they even, I don't even see how they could even accuse anyone, much less convict them. And may Sister Abeya rest in peace. If these are the people who really did murder her, thank goodness that it all, you know, came out in the wash in the end. But I don't even see how they made that happen. Neither do I. This was, it was so crazy. I really hate how long this went on. This was just crazy. Well, with that, though, how would you like to bring this up? Well, um, Lay's Cheddar Jalapeno Chips are the best flavor they've probably ever made. Go get a bag so that they will stay in production. Bob's Burgers is about to come on. You know I love me some Bob's Burgers. And Cal Drogo, the official pup of the We Shouldn't Talk About This podcast, is getting bigger and stronger and cuter. And more pictures are to come on the Instagram. 
Well, I definitely agree with the cheddar jalapeno lays. They are amazing. Bob's Burgers, I've not seen in a while, but when I did watch it, it was fun. They're a good show. And Caldrogo, I have not seen him in like a couple weeks, I don't think, because I've been, I don't know, I, I, I guess I've been kind of missing you whenever you come by. Yeah. Because I was over yesterday. Yeah, and I was I was gone during the daytime. So I guess you'll have to catch up on pictures of him on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that'll be all right for now until I see him again. See our official We Shouldn't Talk About This pub. Yes. So with that being said, I hope our listeners in India enjoyed this episode that we made, especially for them to thank them for being regular listeners and to thank them for the support. We definitely hope that you can overlook our butchering of names and words that we just are not familiar with how to pronounce. And please follow us on Instagram at wstat underscore pod. That's also the Twitter handle. And you can join the We Shouldn't Talk About This podcast group on Facebook. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. If you hate us, please leave us a four-star rating. We'll take it. But we definitely need the ratings to get this out to more listeners. So we appreciate you listening. And that's all I got. Well, that was well said. I do appreciate you apologizing to our listeners in India because I know I destroyed so many names in my story. And I am very appreciative of our listeners in India. Hope they enjoy this episode also. And with that being said, I'm V. And I'm Key. And this has been We Should Talk About This. Alavida. Bye.